We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Hey guys, before we get to the episode with Britt, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, which is Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a men's clothing brand that sells all sorts of things from blazers to dress shirts to vests, winter jackets, all that sort of deal. So if you're looking to purchase uh, some sort of menswear for someone in your life for a holiday gift, uh, Circle Rock is a good place to go. You can seek out Circle Rock online at circlerock.com. They are also... um, based locally in Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis at Circle Rock's House of Style. If you are wanting to purchase from them, you can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card good for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's the code ZONE25 for $25 off. Now let's get to the show. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and we are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Monday, December 16th. The Wolves are in the middle of four off days, five off days. They've lost seven in a row. Yeah, four off days. Um, We are in day two. The last game was the Friday night. No, no, day three of the four. Because tomorrow's an off day, and then Wednesday's a game. That is Britt Robson of The Athletic. We uh, were just at Timberwolves practice. That was They had taken a little bit of time off, and now Ryan was saying today they're going to hit some in-game scrimmage practice stuff and really fix this whole thing that's gone uh, awry over the past, pretty much since Thanksgiving. Is that what the seven games are? I think seven like games are actually December. They're 0-7 in December. Okay, right. Um, the last two games of November, they won on the road, Atlanta and San Atlanta, Antonio. yeah, that was right before Thanksgiving. Or right around then. Mm-hmm. I remember it was Monday, yeah, Monday, Wednesday, because then I went to. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes. Um, so we're going to 
talk today about that. Britt just wrote a piece up at The Athletic just kind of on what, what has transpired here recently. And that, that that Atlanta game, which was one of the the second-to-last win, was the, was the game where the Wolves moved Culver fully into the starting lineup and Jeff Teague out of it. Right. Which um, was met with a lot of praise, I think, by, by a lot of people who have become frustrated. A lot frustrated. of people relieved. Exactly, frustrated with Jeff Teague. And it hasn't worked out, obviously. They've lost seven straight games um, along that run. But not because of Jeff Teague. See, that's the crazy thing. Because Jeff Teague has played well. But Jeff Teague has... He's played his no, brand of basketball well. They have no choice but to play Jeff Teague because neither Andrew Wiggins nor Jarrett Culver could be the playmaker... They, they doubled down on the idea that a combo guard backcourt of mm-hmm. Culver and Wiggins would produce some kind of playmaking between those two guys sure. because there is a lot of potential for both of them to be pretty good at, at setting up people. But not, not as the main dude. And as it turns out, it was both of them, I, I think, really kind of failed in that role as a lead, you know, or even like... A1 combo guard versus B1 combo guard. You you were always more skeptical on that I than I was. Yeah. Um, which, again, I guess credit because it, it hasn't worked. But I do think when we look around the league and I do think when we look at Brooklyn as that's the team, Brooklyn of last year is the team we look at as the offensive doppelganger of this team. And, you know, I I think Jarek Culver, Karis LeVert are similar sized players. Um, they, they found success in that multi- lead ball handler sort of role, even with, without one of them always being a typical point guard. So I, I was optimistic to the idea. I think that's going to happen more and more around the league. You you gather what you lose in the quarterbacking of a traditional point guard, you gain in length and athleticism and just kind of size. So I, I, was, I was optimistic to the idea, but I, I can't refute that it's been trash. And I think... Rather than say it the way you said it, what I would say is that what has happened is guys who can be traditional point guards have also become combo guards skilled. I don't think it's something where you're sacrificing something in order to get the fusion. I think it's a value-added thing. Now, Give me an obviously, example. Um, ben Simmons. Okay, well, that's... I mean, somebody who can dish yeah. and score... Um, but, I mean, you can pick almost any point guard around the league. Chris Paul, um, mm-hmm. you know, works off the ball. He did in Houston, you know, sure, sure. for a while. Uh, uh, you know, if you if you look at, you know, I mean, in Dennis Schroeder, for that matter, has become somebody who's a oh, They're playing three point guards at a time. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can pick a team. Um, Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. uh, is he a combo guard? Is he a shooting guard? Is he a point guard? But he could be a point guard in the traditional sense. He was early in his career. It's optimal if you can kind of flex in and out of both of those roles. Exactly. But my point, I think, is that I don't think you water down one side or the other to make a combo guard work. Sure. And I think that the problem we're seeing is that Andrew Wiggins doesn't have innate, um, well, as of yet, I mean, I don't want to sell Wiggins short definitively, even though he's in year six, simply mm-hmm. because of what he's done this year. But if he combines the court vision 
and the passing skills that he flexed for like a three or four game period on a consistent basis against the scouting that has seen this happen, it will be a wonderful thing. And that's what the Wolves were hoping for when they moved him into that role. As it turned out, there were a lot of factors that went into that. I happen to think that once the Wolves started losing, both Towns and Wiggins got a little bit more ball hoggish and tried to play hero ball, tried to turn turn the losing streak around on their own. And the same thing is happening with the defense. So, um, but the point being that Culver is not ready, period, mm-hmm. um, for either end, either as the shooting guard or the point guard. And Wiggins, as it turns out, is best suited. One of the things I didn't put in the piece, but um, was part of the research for the column, is that uh, Wiggins and Teague are actually very good over the last nine games. Um, and t- together. Yeah. I think you did put that in there. You said their offensive rating was like 116. Oh, okay, good. No, I know, but the, their net is also very good. It's like right. plus 6'3", um, which may be the best on the team of two-man combinations And I would over add- the last nine games. This is – I broke it down 16 and 9 because oh, the, sure. the shift happened after 16 games, and it's only been the last nine games. They do have a – historical track record of working together. I mean, that, again, if we're looking at, mm-hmm. at the numbers, mm-hmm. that's all. That's a little bit messy. You go to Teague's first year because the starters all just played together so much that and, you can't necessarily say that Teague and Wiggins are good together because those two are there. They were also flanked by Jimmy Butler, Cat, and Taj. And Taj for, like, literally, I think it was, it was probably more than half of Teague's minutes he played with that full five because it was like 1,100 minutes they played. Right, right, because that's the way Tibbs operated. Yeah. Whole so, units. So I think there was I, – I for sure was – I for sure would not have credited Jeff Teague mm-hmm. with, with that, but maybe now as that's obviously broken up where you don't have Taj, you don't have Jimmy, you know, maybe, maybe there is some synergy there. And, and I know – I think we know that personally those two guys get along mm-hmm. and that, you know, that can help. I think that could be beneficial in mm-hmm. um he put it like this. Jeff is a lot better at working with Andrew Wiggins than he is with Carl Anthony Towns. I think that's true because he doesn't have to entry pass for one thing. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um Towns is almost never in the corner. And Towns is never Towns has bad timing on flashing to the rim. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Sure. Um it just feels like He's best when he's set up, ready to receive the ball. Well, that flashing to the rim is like you're, you're really putting yourself out there for your teammate. You kind of gotta, you kind of gotta believe in them, right? Because you're you're there. But if he just kind of holds back, he can wait. And if their if their timing's off, be like, I'm still here. Give me the ball. It's right. Uh, right. Whereas, I mean, it, what made me think of it, especially though, that breakout game Teague had in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. um, Jordan Bell. Broke to the rim late in the clock, like two or three times, and Teague was just waiting for him, right? Just ready for it to happen. And when he has that seam, that's the seam he can hit because More so he's than already the he's already in the paint. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. right. It's know? not it's not a long and, distance. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, if Cat could do that, then Teague would be a lot better. Now, again, that's not money basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really not. Generally speaking, if you have a guy who is like a true shooting percentage of over 60, he's not going to flash in the paint at the last minute and be open. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It, it's it, it's funny that Oklahoma City game, or and what, what Ryan is kind of adjusted to is is using Jordan as the screener, Bell as the screener mm. in, in pick and roll action, whether it's 
with Teague. Or another with failing of cats. Another another failing of cats, but it also like compounds its failure when Cat goes and gets in the lane <laughs> while that's happening. Like he doesn't he doesn't time his crash the boards or his own cut to flash. Right. And that really showed up in the OKC game because what OKC started doing, because Teague was going off, they started you threw a screen at him, they started throwing two defenders at him. They would they would put Noel essentially out to switch on him and they would attach Schroeder or Chris Paul or whoever it was on him. And so now Teague has to pass. Right. And what's, what becomes open is Jordan Bell. And so now Jordan Bell catches the pass. It's like, oh, cool, nice little rim roll. But Cat's there, too, in his way. So it's like Adams is right there. Or somebody. Yeah, Adam or somebody else is right there. It, right. It remind, it's, like, it's like the inverse of when Gorgie would always get in Cat's way. Right. You know, and they would kind of like crash yep. into each other. Yep. Um, so the spacing doesn't work because Jeff Teague just – doesn't really like to work in space. He, he no. he's more comfortable in tight quarters. He likes contact. It really mm-hmm. is a he's this little dude who is not physically imposing, mm-hmm. um, but he is more comfortable. I mean, the, the classic Jeff Teague move, and I probably said this before. I've certainly written it, is to to dribble the hell out of the ball <laughs> into the paint and lower people there, and then. When he has enough big people around him, make his move. And his move oftentimes is a little pocket bounce pass to a guy um, for a layup. You know, he worked really well with Taj sometimes. Another cool Jeff Teague move is to dribble, 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 and then look like he's finally decided to go to the rim and then kick it out to the corner. Jake Lehman found that out very early, and Mm -hmm. um, Kata found it out. He's had a little bit of that with Wiggins recently. If Cat would get over there... Yeah, I mean, it just <clears throat> it depends how you pattern your offense, then, right? Like, but again, that's what Wiggins does. Why can't Teague do that? If if Cat creates the lane, yeah. um, the you know, th- there are just so many ways in which um, the enigma of Jeff Teague and the uh, uh, willfulness of Cat create too many intangibles sure. to really run successful plays over and over again. So being as you literally just published your thing and I was only kind of able to skim it, sure. um, what, what's the, what's the solution going forward given that Teague doesn't fit yet he remains the third or maybe fourth best player in the team? I wasn't presenting it as a solution. I was presenting it as a quandary, mm-hmm. uh, which basically is, um, he's the best point guard on the roster, as you have said frequently, um, and yet, and, and he also, when he is on the court, the Wolves play better. Mm-hmm. But this season is about process. This season yep. isn't about wins. And Jeff Teague wrecks the the repetition and the enculturation of your process. It's uh, you can't win with him. You can't win without him. If that's if that's true, which I, I think it probably is. It's. Uh, I think it's fair to question why they brought him in at all this season. You mean instead of just cutting him or, or stretching him? I mean, I like. I guess you could have done that. Um, if they had any means, which we can't know, right? To to get off of him, they probably should have because of this quandary was was coming. And, and if we read the reports, you know, and I, you know me, I'm loath to get into this kind of stuff, but it, let's do it. It 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 does it here. Um, <laughs> When they were going after D'Angelo Russell, they were going to have the money. It was probably from Wiggins' deal, but it might have been from Teague's deal. 
Um, One way or the other, they would have had to get off like $30 million. So clearly, if they were making those kinds of negotiations, what you were talking about certainly was part of that conversation mm-hmm. because Teague is one of three salaries, Gorgie Jang, Andrew Wiggins, and Jeff him. Teague. Yes, th- put together 30 somehow that way. Right. The uh, What I would bet happened is any team who – there were there were you know in negotiations with to just take Teague off their hands and in, in any sort of well I don't I don't even know what that was but what's that team going to say so Teague hasn't isn't playing all, he missed forty games for you last season he's not playing at all this summer he had just had surgery on his foot that inserted a metal plate and we don't know what he's going to look like physically at all until till the regular season the team trading for him would have theoretically been a playoff team or a, a contender right if I'm the I don't know, call, call it the Lakers, who didn't really have any sort of point. I mean, he would have right, kind of made right. sense in that Rondo, they don't, that Rondo, Coldwell right, sure. Pope sort of role. If you're the Lakers, you go, well, it's already 19 we got to take on. I don't know if we want to take on 19 in a massive question mark there, too. So I would assume that factored into the whole thing because I highly doubt Ryan or Gerson or anyone there is dim enough to, to not acknowledge that, yeah, this guy who leads the league in dribbling – is going to be a good fit in our space and pace system. Those are square peg round holes. I mean, he he didn't pull the trigger on the three for much of last season. Sure. Ironically, once he got his black sneakers and finally dumped those <laughs> other ones, he began to shoot better. So, you know, Danny theory, Danny told me though that he saw the the wheat color. Danny Cunningham. The, yeah, Danny Cunningham told me. He, he, I thought they would, were thrown away because they weren't in his locker. I tweeted it out after one game. I was like, I think they're gone. The Tims are gone. They're back. So uh, I don't know. They might. They might. Re, they well, may if he stops shooting with those things on, <laughs> then what we will know is it hurts him. I mean, maybe these black sneakers really, uh, <laughs> you know, clinch his foot to the point where he can't feel it until he takes it off. I th- he's just he. You don't know. We don't know, and but we, you're we grappling do, with an you know you're a blind guy with an elephant when it comes to Jeff Teague. At least in the quandary, he is finding some success, and that's that's beneficial for a few different reasons. If you wanna, if you're inclined to say that boosts his trade value, sure. Right. Um, I think it illustrates health by right for for one thing, um, but it's also like I understand it's about process this season, but it's also nice to pick up some wins along the way. And I think playing him, despite the wonky fit, is going to lead to more wins than just forcing this roster into this system. Right. I've become incredibly conservative about that. I really want to see process. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't don't see the value of 35 wins. I don't see the value of 40 wins. Um even though only 42 or 43 may get you the A seed. That's fair. But at still, you're out of it, and then you have less chance to get a really good player in the draft. This doesn't feel like – this season feels to me like the season where the Timberwolves learn how to play modern NBA basketball. Sure. And given the fact that Cats certainly and perhaps Wiggins are going to be around for a while. Um, Jarrett too. I think that enculturation – acculturation is a good thing. Um, so I'm for process on a 28-win team if that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like the idea. First of all, let me just say right up front, the Wolves do function a lot better 
when Jeff Teague is doing his thing and wrecking their process. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, because Jeff Teague finds people. He's learned how to shoot again. Uh, you know, all of a sudden he's a new man in that respect. Who knows why? You never know. You never know. Um, but I like how, how Ryan has latched onto your term. Oh, has he? he? Remember at the Enigma? press conference? No, no, no. He said, no, he didn't call Jeff an Enigma. He <laughs> called him aggressive Jeff Teague. Oh, you, yeah. Right, right, right in the press That's conference. That's because Jim Peterson picked up on it. Yeah. Je- aggressive Jeff Teague was my yeah, it was a Twitter meme for me. If that's such, can you have a Twitter meme? Sure. Okay. Um, so it was a Twitter meme for me. And, it was uh, also like a column you wrote. Oh yeah. Well, that too. You know. But nobody. But I don't think people <laughs> latch onto something you write in a column and say, "Oh, hey, you know, <laughs> you got to be online or something." Also, what hasn't uh, really caught hold, and maybe this podcast is the place to re-break it out. Boom. Is uh, atonement, Jeff Teague. Yes. Atonement, That might Jeff be too Teague big is, of a word. Is, no, I don't think so. Atonement, <laughs> Jeff Teague, is is even more fun than aggressive Jeff Teague because it totally. combines aggressive te- Jeff Teague with a little bit of animus. You know, I mean, it really is this situation where um, if Jeff Teague screws up or somebody embarrasses him or he just gets angry— um, angry totally. Jeff Teague. There's a tone of Jeff Teague, aggressive Jeff Teague, and angry Jeff Teague. Are the three almost, A's. Almost the same player, but there is certain slight. Their effectiveness is definitely very. But also, I really do think that they're all better than just taciturn Jeff Teague. Well, there's too big of a word. No, it's not. Just <laughs> nonchalant, taciturn, <laughs> lethargic. Well, it's, it's no coincidence that uh, that he goes off against Oklahoma City. He does not like Dennis Schroeder. At all. And and also kind of resents the fact that Chris Paul is a bigwig. Probably doesn't yep. like Chris Paul's mouth. Yep, well, that would make sense. Yeah, um, like the rest of us. I would have to pull Did he play well against uh, Utah? Um, this most recent Utah game? They're all starting probably, to kind of Probably. I don't know. Well, he's played well fact, over the stretch. He doesn't like Rubio, of course. Exactly, so that's what I'm, I'm connecting some dots here. Uh, but did then, he play well against Phoenix? I think Rubio carved up. Oh, that's what, oh my God. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. Yes. Yeah. Is the so, Rubio angle. I don't know how he did in Phoenix. I do know that he's been playing really well. Yeah, he's been playing really well overall, so probably. Probably. He's been playing really well. But while not the team as well as Rubio's playing, by the way. Rubio's having a great year. I know. That team, it, it's it's so, I guess it, it's, it's reason kind of for optimism for the Wolves that a team can go from looking so young to mature like that, right? Like this, I mean, granted, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, – Rubio and Aaron Baines, yep. bringing some Two vets. adult to it, but and Kelly Oubre is not a kid I was anymore. Say, no, yeah, and he seems like he's well, he's certainly playing. But I mean, it, it can it can shift pretty Monty quickly. Monty Williams. I mean, they have a sure. lot of different components that have suddenly. But come I mean, you remember watching the Suns last year? Yeah, it's like it was Devin Booker and nobody else. Yeah, I mean, it was like watching the TJ Warren Knicks was the second best Cavs this year. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was awful. It was awful. Um, and this year they are a lot of fun. Totally. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, Jarek Culver as part of okay, this sure. equation. Yep. Which, um, yeah, as we were talking about before, we turned these on. It, it, I, I'm going to write something on him, and I, I can't say I have all my thoughts like totally flushed out on this yet. But we're we're 25 games into the season, and um, it, the, the shooting is atrocious. Yes, like the wor- terrible, worst in the league, bad. I do not think he's put together three straight good shooting games. Yeah, and so I mean that would to me would be, um, in twenty five games you should be able. 
I mean, again, all I can tell you, unfortunately, I'm I'm on this weird 16-game, nine-game split because yeah. that's I just did this piece on what the Wolves were like after they made the lineup change. But um, Culver's first 16 games, he was like 35-something, mm-hmm. and the last nine games, he was like 34, 35-something. So that is just perpetually bad. His shooting. His shooting, his field goal percentage. His three-point percentage over the last nine games is 17.2, which means he does not hit one out of five. He hits less than one out of five. And then his free-throw percentage has skyrocketed Mm -hmm. to 54.2 over the last nine games, (laughs) which has still not put him over 50% for the season. Well, so so for the season, we'll just rip through what his basic stats are. 43.4% from the line. Um, overall field goal percentage, 37, and from three-point land, 25. Whew. Yeah. So if you you remember last season... So the line is still his most accurate place, and he's at 43%? Well, technically, if you just break it down to two-point field goals, it's 45.3, and okay, at the free-throw so line, it's 43.4. Right, so twos are his best bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a good one. He Andrew Wiggins, I just know because I used this stat multiple times in anything I wrote about Wiggins over the past six months was that of any player who shot with volume last year, the only player who had a worse true shooting percentage than Wiggins was Kevin Knox. And Wiggins' true shooting percentage last year was 49.8%. Jarrett Culver is 42.8% this year. So he he is tracking very much to be the worst. What was Kevin Knox, do you know? It was like 48.6 or something like that. So he's going to be historically bad. Well, it, it, we but, may have to go back many years. Uh, that's I would say that's I mean it's the, the free throw line. What a so, true shooting percentage for those who don't know is it combines your two point three point and free throw percentages all together. It it it's the it's best the marker best, of shooter. It, it yeah. is the most broadly measured way of figuring out whether you can make points. Right. The the concerning element about that is not just the numbers; it's the vo- that the volume we're getting to. He's played in all twenty five games. Um, he's playing substantial minutes, so we're, we're getting to a pretty critically sized sample here. That said, I don't think it's fair for us to just assume the next two-thirds of the season are for sure going to be this bad. No. I think, I mean, if if the free throw, if these free throw woes stay, I mean, it's, you're now you're approaching a Markel Fultz yeah, you type can't, situation. Yeah, you can't be on the court in a closed game. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting in the, the Clippers game, the whole come. I mean, he played his first little six minute stretch of the third quarter, started the second half, and then did not come back in the game the whole rest of the time. And not coincidentally, they yeah. made a big run. Not coincidentally. And Jeff Teague did play like 18 straight minutes or something like that <laughs> to, to close the game. So, right. process out the window, but so be it. Right. And, and in the, I guess in that. See, now there was a loss and an absence of process, a double loss. That's what I worry about. I worry that, um, but there was the going to be a loss with the, with the process too, by and, more, perhaps. And it's fair to say that it, without that little boomlet in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. they'd be staring at four days of you know real haggard. Uh, sure, if they would have lost by like thirty. It was a moral victory. It was a you know that fourth quarter against the Clippers was a moral victory. I mean, they were down twenty seven. At one point, got and to I think five, to I think. five or Maybe three or something. four, yeah, something like that. Um, but a a moral victory, 
They need more than that now, and they need. Did they just? I don't know. I, it, it's a quandary for me too. I don't know what the the best way for them to approach this is, and I think they're probably acknowledging all of this too. They're acknowledging that maybe, maybe in the off season, if we could have, we should have moved Jeff. And now I think as now De- December fifteenth this year, it is officially quote unquote trade season. I think they're shopping T card right. I now. think I mean that John Krasinski reported that. Oh, he did good. Um and. My colleague, your colleague, yes, sir. Uh, that that that's made sense for a while. I I've, I think last time you and I were talking, I was like, I think they're gonna. I, I would be surprised if they didn't move right. off of Teague at some point this year. It just makes sense. Um, now, what what John also acknowledged in, in that column was that it's very difficult for any team who would want Teague right now to take him in. It's I mean, it's still nineteen million dollars. So if there was going to be a trade. The Wolves would need to take back 19. So how do you, you know, how do you make that work? I I, I was just kind of clicking through a, a few of the team's salaries, and I'm like, well, basically you got to take on someone else's bad 19 for that. And he'd be like, well, would Alan Crabb's terrible at 19 million dollars, but would his shooting be more valuable than what Jeff? Would they yes. rather have that? You know, but why would? But then, but then you go, why? Why would Atlanta want Jeff T? So there's a whole. It's just it's difficult to find something to line up. I think what it's going to probably require is a team like, I don't know, if, if if Reggie Jackson got like, was out for the season and they needed another serviceable starting point guard to ironically pair with Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. then, you know, then Jeff Teague might make sense. But, but you would need to still find the mechanics to make that deal work. I What what I'm seeing as a, as a possibility, not reporting anything, just, you know, looking at the numbers is, I think if if the Wolves duplicate this first 25 games and they're 20 and 30, which would that'd be about the trade deadline, uh-huh. then they might just all together buy out Teague. Mm. It, just to just to say, okay, process for the last 30 games of the season. Right. I, I think that would obviously I actually pro- would be heartened if they're 20 and 30 after 50 games. I think that w- that would not be a bad scenario, I don't think. So so 20 so right now. 20 and 30, I think that would put them right around my figure. I had them for 34 wins. 34 and 48, is that what that is? 33. 33. So, so they're currently on a 33-win pace. There you go. Which was... Sounds good. Yeah. You don't think... You think they'll remain this bad? Yes. I, I called them for 34 wins. Maybe yeah, they'll get I mean, a little I, Just because you called them. It's been, <laughs> we've still now got 25 more games of information. But I've been hanging tough ever since when they went on that big run and people were, hey, what do you think? Are we going to do this? You, I no, had them, you know, I pretty much, I think yeah, I Yeah, but made, you had no idea that Wiggins was going to be this. I may have gone up to 35 or 36 wins. A, but a Wiggins moment. Yes. Oh, yeah, Wiggins. But that's, but that's what that's I'm why. saying. That's why you can't. You can't tell me, oh, I think they're going to be exactly the same as they were, as I thought they were going to be in the preseason, because you did not see at all this what, positive adjustment from Wiggins. What I saw, though, was that the season has its ups and downs. They've had an up, they've had a down, they'll have an up again, they'll have a down again. But at, the end, of the, day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think they are a team in the mid to low 30s. I would go as high as I think their ceiling is like thirty-eight wins now. Yeah. I think their floor is like twenty-seven wins, but that's only if they tank in April, which is still a distinct possibility. I don't think they'll tank because cat, unless cats hurt, or unless cat gets hurt. 
Yeah, you just did the air quotes. Yeah. There. Speaking of, saw him today. Did not look like he was going to practice today. He was very much hobbling around, which you always take with a grain of salt with Cap. But I mean, he very much. I don't even. We, we didn't even get clarity exactly on what the injury he suffered at the end of that game was. But he it was talking about his knee, though. His knee, and he was like on the bench. He was like flexing his ankle. That up and really down. was a. I mean, if you you went back and looked at that too, probably mm-hmm. it was a, a a compound jarring of things. Right. One was um, the uh, thigh and calf kind of snapped together at the knee as he was going down, mm-hmm. and that bounce in turn sent him bouncing onto his coccy- coccyx, which is your uh, tailbone. You know, yeah, tailbone. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I thought both of those could have been hurt, you know, during that that time. I, I will say this about Cat. He's I made of rubber. I don't think he's a malingerer when it comes to injuries. I think that he likes to milk things, but I Th- do not think— That's not the same it, thing? No, because I think if you're a malingerer, you're somebody who wants out. I think Cat yeah. wants to milk a little bit of sympathy so he can come back and be a hero. Sure. You know, I think I think he wants the Horatio, which Wilder was certainly factor. what happened at the end of last year there when he, go. he got hurt and in the not, Washington not game. Not coincidentally, got up off the floor after that terrible fall mm-hmm. and rained points on the Clippers right. and almost brought them back. That is the scenario. Mm-hmm. I, I am sure that when Cat daydreams about what he wants, it involves his team winning, but it certainly involves, you know, Cat using his phenomenal gifts in myriad ways I, I do think it's uh even prior to this injury whatever happened um <clears throat> i think it's fair to say that he's more banged up this year than he has been in previous years we just see him in the locker room after games wrapped up feet you know wrist brace he had on that one right. time all all sorts of different things and i don't know maybe he's intentionally showing some of that for the reasons you just pointed out but i i think I think he's feeling some wear and tear over 25 games, too. Also, I have nothing to back this up in terms of factual knowledge, but I think it would be crazy if the league, if the word wasn't out around the league that the way to get to Cat is to beat him up. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, and so I, you see it happen. And um, especially if the refs are inconsistent in their calls, um, if you foul Cat three times and only get whistled twice for it, mm-hmm. that one foul you got away with is inside his head. And, that, he, and he's feeling it, both. Exactly. Right. But I mean, and, and actually, the fact that he's feeling it makes him angrier. And, and sure. that's still a hurdle. He's done a much better job this year of, of surmounting that. You know, I, I, I rip on Cat a lot for. Um, the way he approaches himself in the arena of uh, I don't know, man. He loves you now. He gave you that. Give you that. Shout oh yeah, out. yeah, yeah. That was funny. <laughs> but um, but the point is, I do want to say that uh, he's worked really hard at being better this year in a lot totally. of ways where he wasn't very good, and one of them was I, I. I do think he works hard on defense. I think he's. Really, I mean, they're playing the kind of defense that um, a non-physical, medium-sized center is going to have trouble with. And and as a rim protector, as somebody who 
has to deal with, um, you know, a lot of pinch defenders uh, beside him and react to that. I, I just feel like that and the fact that uh, when it comes to him being doubled and tripled, um, this is where the one place where I think Tibbs really helped him as a coach was giving him the discipline to know when to pass out of double teams. Sure. Um, because Tibbs demanded that he do it instead of shoot. Now to the point where if if he has a fault, it's that he doesn't break. If anybody should break the process, it's Cat. Sure. And it's when double teams are coming. And I do think refs are more sympathetic to star players who try to battle through a double team to get the – I think that's when you get the whistle more often. I if you haven't been complaining and acting out and, you know, being kind of a demonstrative jerk in the previous five minutes. Can I can I tell you about my trade idea? Yep. Um, <clears throat> just because I know you definitely didn't listen to the last podcast. <laughs> I brought no, it up. listen to podcast. I, I brought it up on the last one of these I did, and <clears throat> I just spent – wrote something on D'Angelo Russell. Spent time, like – for the first time this year, really doing trade machine stuff and just thinking about what are what moves make sense for this team mm-hmm. outside of the D'Angelo, the D'Angelo Russell realm and outside of it too. And what I'm into right now is bringing in a, a different archetype of player, not the lead ball handler type of guy like D'Angelo Russell, whatever the you know we've talked about before right. like a Karis LeVert or something like that but a center and I, I like the idea of Miles Turner who who isn't necessarily a player I'm super into but he's kind of of the the Brooke Lopez archetype where he's in there and can defend the rim for you he's a big body to defend the rim and he's going to spread the floor for you offensively and I, I think I think that is eventually going to be Cat's optimal situation is to be next Com- to combo bigs, combo bigs, <clears throat> but like good combo, not Jordan Bell, uh-huh. just like right that type. I mean, that's a that's a bit little piece. Right. My my thing is, I think he needs just as much as he needs the the floor the floor spacing would be helpful there too, but to not have to be the big body on this team that is needing to defend the rim all the time, that is taking additional blows in that sort of capacity, and having having a Brook Lopez there to his Giannis. And I, I it, obviously you need to, you would need Cat is different than Giannis. He's a more of a floor spacer than rim right. pressurer. But but I is Miles Turner big enough for that though? I think so. Yeah. I mean he, his his rim his rim defense is is, is good. Yeah. I, I mean Brook Lopez is massive. But it's yes. it's very rare that a player See now can be Robin that Lopez. Big. I think Robin Lopez is is I mean I know he's having a bad year. Um or at least not getting sure. the burn he should. I, uh, I. It's only fair to say that I think Miles Turner is overrated. I and I, I'm not a. I right. think we're I don't know what the number is on him. I think it might he might be making 19 million dollars. Yeah, or 18 something. million. Yeah. Okay. And um, Robin Lopez gives you 80 percent of that for like a fifth of the cost. I bet. Sure. It's but he doesn't provide the the floor spacing. Ah, I see. That, that Turner okay. has. All so right. so there, right. there's a progress. Right. There's a whole, and I, I listed these off last time, there's a whole like a progression of the the type of centers you could put by him. And I, I think it would be beneficial to just have a, a big body rim. I, I brought up Rashawn Holmes, mm-hmm. who's obviously having a really good year, with, a the, great year. with the Kings. I but, like that idea much better. I like but, the but idea. Why, but why, why would you like that more than a shooter? 
Because I don't think Holmes would be bad as a shooter. He's not a terrible shooter, is he? I, I don't think he shoots at all. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't shoot any threes. Oh, I see threes only. I see floor spacing in that respect. Only. Floor spacing. See, I think if then, you could hit, if you could, I mean, the the dream is to have the big body rim defender, the floor spacer, and the rim roller all at the same. If time. you could have that all at the same time, that's hard to find. I think Miles Turner is probably within that age range is probably as good as you can get. Okay, now I'm up to speed. Now I would say. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's obviously Miles Turner is, is what? He's like 23 years old. It's not. How do you, you pronounce the guy from the Celtics name? Tice? Daniel Tice? Yeah. yeah you, but, you know, you're just listing He's off a bunch shooter. of like little. I mean, he shoots, but you, those are little cheapy options. You I'm trying to replace the D'Angelo Russell idea ah. with, with another young player who could be an all-star. Who's your point guard? In, in this situation, I mean. I, and I an optimized it would be the the Culver and Wiggins thing. You go you go Culver Wiggins, Covington, Cat Turner, but you're probably going to need to trade one of them to get Turner. So I don't know. Say it's say if it's Culver going out and you get you get a little uh, probably go cheaper at the point guard position in this hypothetical. Right. I'm not sure. I get the logic of what you're saying. I'm not convinced that the double stretch big lineup without a point guard sure is going to make that work i do like the idea if he's a rim protector of trying to figure out you could put roko at the three assuming roko's still around right and then you'd have cat still next to roko on occasion that would be a good thing um i like um, it better on defense than i like it on offense um but it's pretty damn good if they get a point guard too I mean, that's a lot exactly, of boxes to check. Exactly. If they get a point guard, a lot of things happen. I, I think if and, – and by point guard, I would take somebody like George Hill. I would take – or, you know, before he retired, uh, Collison. Guys who were just kind of middle of the – you know, under the radar. Well, that's what I mean, like a cheapy, like, nine, ten million sort of – mid-level oh, uh, George sort of Hill, guy. yeah, you know, he was making 18. I think yeah. they, they signed they, – they, they bought him out him for up. a buck or something and re-signed him or something. Yeah. Um, it literally might have been a dollar. It was one million bucks, but oh, yes. <laughs> but but it, it, in the it NBA was literally terms. $999,000 too small. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's just I think we're going to get to a point where this D'Angelo Russell fan – I mean, odds are the D'Angelo Russell thing just doesn't come to fruition, right? Like any Thank deal. God. And then – then if if we do believe what Gerson always says is you know star uh, being a star hunting sort of team, th that that's just a different way to do it to to increase the universe of types of players that you could go get because we've talked about this before like the there's just not a lot of D'Angelo Russells out there CJ right. McCollum like th those those are not going to be easily acquired and if you feel like you need to acquire another low level star in the next three years, I think you gotta you can't be Beggars can't be choosers, right? Like, and and maybe having it be a stretch big is another way to do it. Okay, now you know how much I love Covington, so I'm not endorsing this deal. Okay. I'm just playing into this conversation. Is it going to be Clint Capella? No, okay. it's going to be. Um, no, I forgot. Oh, um, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie for Cove. Straight up. Straight up. Well, I mean, I think Cove doesn't make quite as much money. No, they make like the exact same. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's like they're almost on the exact same deal. Both, um, both three years. Because when Kyrie and KD are back, totally, I just don't think, 
And Covington, between those two guys? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I think that's a better deal for Brooklyn than it is for Minnesota. I, well, for, for a couple reasons. Dinwiddie has been fabulous. Dinwiddie has been very good. But I, I think that if the Wolves are going to eventually repurpose the Robert Covington asset. You need it, more. It better, you not only need more, it better damn well be somebody that Cat loves. Because he loves Dinwiddie? I think he definitely loves Robert Covington. And I think you're really, it would be and a risky move to, to like, I agree. That, that's, a, that's a real, I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's a big brother, little brother vibe. And, and not only that, him. but Covington is a reliable 36% from deep. And a really, really good player. You, you just don't, you, the, those people are really hard for the Wolves to find for some reason. Everybody else seems to get them. <laughs> but the Wolves don't, don't get those 36% three-point shooters. You know um, who I was watching though. That just it was it was after the I was watching it after the Wolves um, lost to the the Clippers, and I was watching the Kings play. And Buddy Heald, man, just the way he moves himself around the floor and that deal penetrates was ripped. It. That deal was ripped. But the Cousins they didn't get nearly enough for Cousins. Remember that? Totally. It, it's just it's again that archetype of player too. It's yeah. just somebody who can replant themselves all over the three-point arc mm-hmm. and put pressure on the defense in that sort of way. Again, be very difficult to acquire. Now, he's making like $25 million a year well, going forward. But again, the scenarios we keep coming up with are lightning and a bottle combinations that might sustain in the modern NBA. And What do you mean by that? Um Things where you think this is probably – I thought Buddy Heald and, and De'Aaron Fox might be a flash in the pan. Sure. Maybe not. You know, I mean, we don't know enough about Fox's health this year and so on and so forth, and their pace, you know, is not really caught up yet. But Buddy Heald is still shooting lights out. And um, having a guy like D'Angelo Fox next to him – You did the D'Angelo thing again. De'Aaron. D'Angelo, De'Aaron. <laughs> Who did I say the other day when... Uh, it was we, the same thing. It was also De'Aaron Fox. But what did I call... Oh, was it De'Aaron Fox? Uh, yeah. Okay. And then we went back and we looked at how many games he's played. Yes. Yeah, okay. Anyways, De'Aaron right. Fox. Right oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't know that. <laughs> now it's all coming back to me. Uh, I always like to recall my moments of stupidity on previous <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, I just need you to remind me. I need to prompt you to remind me about my moments of stupidity. All right, so the point being... These combinations that get concocted and work. Yeah. Wolves fans are, it's a really alien concept for fans of this franchise. Sure. But it happens a fair bit around the NBA. Would you say it happens by the draft? I think it goes in various ways. But what it most often, what most often happens is it takes a 25-win team into a 38 or 41-win team. Okay. You know, I mean, that yeah, 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 like yeah. what Sacramento did, that kind of a boost. Sure. And then you think, all right, maybe we can take that next step. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that can happen, but I do know with Cat, you've already got the 10-game guy, the 10-game boost guy. Yep, sure. Sacramento does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but he healed maybe getting there. Um but if you can hit one of those lightning combinations with Cat and perhaps Wiggins on your roster, then you're a playoff team. And where 
I guess what I'm saying is, does it need to be young players, or can you find your way to a Montrez Harold Lou Williams okay. sort of thing? That's a very good example, too. What I will say is, I, where I am putting my faith in the Rosas regime is in their ability to, to that. do that. It hasn't happened yet, and their biggest— I think that's fair. Their biggest splash yet has been Culver, and it's been bad. So their track record is not wonderful yet. I mean, their, their most significant off-season move thus far in terms of what's on paper is getting Jarrett Culver for Dario Saric and the 11th, 11th pick. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's not that doesn't—it's a, like a two-star trade at this point, whatever you want to call it. But you also have to take in context of odds are at 11, they wouldn't have got a good rookie there because this whole – the majority of the lottery has been bad. Now, we can, we can be revisionist history and we can, you know, copy-paste Tyler Hero onto this roster and it's great. But, I mean, maybe they just would have actually taken Cam Johnson at 11. I think that would have been terrible. But right. maybe they would have just been like, oh, there's a floor spacer for us, a shooter. We're going we're gonna to go with him. And if they had Cam Johnson – and Dario Saric on this team, which were actually, which was actually the trade, I don't think, I don't think they're immeasurably better because Dario, even with my whole floor spacing right. thing, he's not quite the archetype of what I'm thinking of. I would agree with everything you just said, but my greater point is that was their gambit. Got that it. was their yeah. thing that I'm saying I'm putting faith in these guys that I am confident that they will hit. On something, yeah, but well, at so some far, point it's inherently taken, a game. A they've gamble, taken right? one swing, and mm -hmm. it, at at best, it's a foul ball. Sure, I, I agree with that. I guess how many of those do we need to see to know what their batting average actually is? Well, usually GMs don't get enough of opportunity to. Do oh, I think he'll he'll have a, a fairly long tenure. I think again. The great thing about GMing or whatever you want to call it is that it lasts for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jared Culver may bloom in year three or year four, and that deal may look better. Dario Saric may wind up getting paid $18 million next year and be not very good or the same as he is now. Yep. Um, and then you go, well, the Wolves couldn't afford that guy or whatever. So I don't think he's going to get that money now, by the way. But that's no. Separate. Well, who knows? You know, I mean, I guess it's a weird. Phoenix is a, a you know a spunky young team, and he's he's a part of it. So who knows? Mm -hmm. But Rosas and Gupta and all those guys um, in the front office are cutting edge guys. Um, they use analytics in a way that uh, impresses me. I was impressed with the bargain basement move after not getting Russell. I thought it was a smart pullback. We should give him a single for the Jake Lehman signing. So far, but only because Lehman looks better hurt than he did healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, True. it's been addition by subtraction for Jake Lehman. I mean, not that... Still three and a half million dollar player. Believe me, it, it the, the guy being able to move without the ball and to play defense... Um, and, and he was the one that they put their stamp on too by giving him all, three years. Yep, certainly so, worth all of that. Yep. And also, you got to give Rosas credit for getting Prigioni and getting Vanderpool um, 
to surround Ryan with two really keen minds on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a good way for those who wondered whether Ryan might be out of his depth. You didn't have to worry about that. You should tease your David Manterpool piece you got coming out. Yeah, I'm I'm going to write a piece. I think it'll be out Friday. Um, and uh, I've wanted to write about him for a long time. And um, Vanterpool, that is. Yeah, Vanterpool. And got to talk to him for a long time. Talk to him for almost two hours because it's. I, I think that's that's been the issue. He's been a question mark of all right. We everything we've come to know him as prior to this is okay. So you were the defensive coordinator in Portland. You and that's were they, been it. Yeah, that, but that's really the only like right. thing we know. And then outside of that, it's just we're taking other people's word of like, oh, he's a really, really right keen guy, you know. And, and what I can say in terms of teasing it out is um, you hear almost everything he thinks about defense is parroted throughout the organization. So he is influential. Um, he's in charge of that for sure. He is in charge of it and uh, – the few, you know, the rare occasions when I see practice, um, he is the one who addresses the, the de- you know, that day's defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, and yet he and Ryan, when I asked him, um, he was waxing eloquent about Ryan, you know, his, Ryan's access, his access to Ryan. And I said, you know, so you're happy. He said, happy? I'm ecstatic. Now, you know, that could be a bunch of bull. He could be, you know, getting out the knife, but I don't think so. It didn't feel that way. Yeah. Um, then again, when anybody gives you two hours, you're prone to be on their side. <laughs> That's true. So you know, it's, it was uh, great access. It wasn't. I'm I'm only about a third of the way through transcribing it, and you know, like whenever I get into these kinds of really long things, you don't really know what you have, even you know, as you're moving along until you start to try to put it together. So if, you know, it could be. Uh, much ado about a little rather than not much ado about nothing, but it may not live up to the hype that uh, I have in my own mind for it because I, I, I think... Well, he's just a, he's a critical character in this story. He's a critical story. character, yeah, and I did want to, you know, get into it with him, and, and he's also very clever in terms of what he said to me and how he said it. It was a manner of... Uh, I've got... The generalities, very, you know, I've got the core principles. I've got why he thinks the way he thinks about certain things. I've got some opinions about people, but I've also got, I've got a steadfastness to stick to the plan. And if anything is wrong with the team right now, it's that they have deviated from the plan too much. Well, and and so let's let's talk about that specifically as it pertains to defense, because in December they're last in defensive rating for the season. They're twenty second in defensive rating. As has always been the case, the quote-unquote leap from this team as a group is once they become an above-average defensive team, and then they really approach contender status right. if they're top 10 on both sides of the ball. Right. Top, then real, real contender status. And that, that is Rosas' stated goal. He's said that, yes. Now, it's, it's interesting to have watched the evolution of this defense and particularly the demise Yes. Um, over over the, the recent run. And I think, and I guess disagree with me if you do, but what we saw when it was working at the beginning of the season was an extremely basic defensive setup that looked exactly like what Portland was doing last year. Mm-hmm. And I think 
what what happened is they always had the plan to add to it to to build to build out that defense because at some point when you're running something very basic and it's it's over and over again an NBA team is going to pick that apart so they knew they had to add to it i think they rushed the adding to it once they saw Kyrie get 50 on him D'Lo get 52 on him uh Beal 44 Harden 49 or whatever it was because it was it was one specific lead ball handler really picking at, okay, you're going to give us this mid-range. We're going to eat here. And so I think they added to it, they rushed it, and it became messy by, by diversity. They weren't ready for that amount of diversity. And, and now what they're trying to go back to, the Clippers game being an example, and, and Ryan said this, we paired back defensively, is back to that basic. We're going to gift you this mid-range. They were... I mean, Kawhi saw that, and he said, okay, I'm going to work from the mid-range. Okay, you're going to ice sideline sideline pick and rolls over and over again. I'm going to I'm gonna attack that. And they knew it was the same thing over and over again, and uncoincidentally, what was it? PG had 46 and Kawhi had 42. I mean, it, there's a direct correlation to the opponent's score, the opponent's best player scoring and a basic style of drop scheme defense. Without trying to, without giving away too much, I would say that my sense is that Vanderpool is okay conceding the mid range to anybody. I, clearly, no, but I mean, um, inviting, oh, yeah. inviting it and taking the chances. Well, and to to his credit, they beat Kyrie, they beat D'Angelo Russell, right? And so there you go. Kawhi and Paul George have the threat of three-point range. Um, I don't know where the stats are now, but the Wolves have generally been strong in contesting threes and not allowing threes, getting running people off the three-point line. Yeah. And they've been decent until recently at the rim, which are the two places that Vanterpool emphasizes. Um, where they are getting killed, I think, is that they began to break the system. They began to flex. That's what I was some of it was planned and some of it was not. Sure. Uh, and so I think that that's, um, you know, it, it, it won't happen as often. Going forward. And what happens from there will be very interesting because um, – you know, there's some reputations on the line, Vanterpools and Cats, to name two. I mean, you know. Well, and I would I put Ryan in that too. The defense was terrible yeah, last year. Yeah, once yeah. He, well, once I know. Took over. But I mean, I think if we're going to give Vanterpool all kinds of credit for being the defensive guy, if they stink, it can't really be laid yeah. at Ryan. I think where Ryan loses out. Well, I mean, Ryan could be. I just I'm just saying he's all. Ryan could connected. be the you know the de facto fall guy for everything. Sure, he could be Paul okay. Molitor pretty easily. <laughs> Um, but the way Ryan is culpable in my view is if, um, Okogi and Towns continue to have a big spat or player relations, the vibe and the, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, Ryan's deal is that he has his finger on the pulse of the locker room and he has, um, not only allowed but enabled the kumbaya vibe that everybody gave credit for. I resisted it for a while, but even I had to cop to it a little bit that 
it was helping. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where Ryan goes. Um, if they just suck out loud on defense for the rest of the season um, and Vanterpool is an unflexible guy and says we need a second year with it, I think he'll get the second year, but I think it hurts him, and I think that if they don't improve in the second year with it, um, if you know, and, and from I, 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 me, <clears throat> me personally, I'm skeptical of the system and how it meshes. <clears throat> excuse me, how it meshes with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh huh. Just period. Right. And and I think that's part of my whole trade for a a big bodied five. Okay high horse that I'm on or all that. I, I'm just, I just. I'm I happy to play devil's advocate here because I would say, name me the defensive system where Cat is optimized on defense. Where he less often is needed to be the big body at the rim. And what is he instead? He's the second. He's the Covington. <laughs> I mean, so it's that's, he's a, that's a lesser role. for somebody else. That's a lesser role. It's a lesser role only if you decide you – what happens when you decide that guy needs covering and he doesn't need covering and your man is wide open? The I, reason Covington is effective is because he doesn't make those bad errors. Sure. You're still relying on Cat's reads. Cat's reads at the end of the day – That's true. Cat um, is the guy who gets to call out everything because he's the guy underneath the rim, theoretically. I mean, if you believe – and I subscribe to it that most of the talking that's effective is done by the guy who could see everything in, mm -hmm. you know, in the back. Um, if Cat has to be a wheeling cog in this thing. My point is he's a cog in it no matter what. But if he has basic responsibilities, Vanterpool has decided to keep it simple with Cat and say, this is your job, and believe me, you'll get support. Mm -hmm. Where some of their add-ons have happened have been letting cats stray a little bit, moving Rocco out to the perimeter a little bit. Um, what happens, you notice Ryan, who is clearly um, listening to Vanterpool and, and coordinating with Vanterpool, to be fair to Ryan, mm -hmm. um, uh, they are on board with Rocco and Cat as the front court pairing. I happen to like it because it's a system that makes sense in some ways, and where it makes sense is because Cat gets to have some basic responsibilities. Um, it's not a good thing when your 6'10 center is bragging to you about his ability to chase guards on the perimeter. In the modern NBA... You want that guy out there, mm -hmm. you know? And if he has got Miles Turner down low, all that means is he's going to be chasing that guy anyway, perhaps, because they'll have a stretch four. So I worry that what, what would solve everything is if Cat was as um, conceptually broad in grasping and implementing defense as he is in implementing yes, his offense. And, and if that happens, you know, the, you know, and it is always so ironic that both Wiggins and Towns 
had reputations coming out of college as defensive <laughs> guys. What what Ryan has I, I asked him before the Clippers game if there was one button you could push to physicality. To, I, it was a really good question you asked, and it was a good answer. Well, what he well that, there was two separate things. Okay, physicality, <laughs> but but then he said the controlling the ball at the top of the key in defenses. He goes, there's a lot of issues right now, and he listed physicality in that. But he said, if we can control the point of attack more, mm-hmm. everything else gets better. And and I agree with it. And to take my to take my the Brook Lopez yep, element, the, yep, that that archetype yep, thing. Yep. I think Lopez and Giannis get a lot of due credit in Milwaukee for what they bring to that defense. But I think Eric Bledsoe might be the best at after receiving a stre- screen, staying on the ball handler's hip. Yeah, he's a bowling ball. He's a bowling ball, and that's ex- that's that affects the angle with which the player can attack the rim. And, and that's why you run Rocco at the three. No, what I'm saying is they just need someone. I think Rocco. Ro- Rocco could do that. Rocco is Eric Bledsoe it, better than anybody in this setup. In this setup, currently, uh huh. Cat is Brook Lopez. Yes. Rocco is Giannis. Yes. And Jeff frickin' Teague <laughs> is is Eric Bledsoe. Right. So so there's a couple of different ways to adjust that. One way or the other. You need to have a very good point of attack defender. Maybe that's Josh Okogie. Maybe he is the Eric Bledsoe. Right. Maybe maybe it's Covington who is the, the point of attack defender. And what is interesting but, but is— But maybe okay. it's just somebody else. Maybe it's somebody else, and and you just get Eric Bledsoe. Right. And you have Covington in the honest role, and you have Cat. on the I haven't line. finished transcribing the, the Vanterpool interview, but I'm not sure point of attack um, is, is prime— uh, I wasn't. I wasn't there for you. That's what Ryan said. I said if I know, you could no. improve one thing, he said that. right, and that's that's interesting to me. I buy the physicality a lot more than I buy that simply because they're giving the mid range up, and that if the mid range is the point of attack, see that's what is unclear to me. I, I uh, get what you're saying. It's, you know, if 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 somebody comes off the pick and roll for a 16 footer, even if it's Kawhi, who man is he deadly from mid range, but no, they, he Vanterpool does not want to give up that shot to even those players. They, they're willing to give that up if you have the rear view contest coming from the point guard, who's also there to, you have Cat kind of in his right, face to right. somewhat contest it, right. and then you also have the rear view contest of the guard coming back on his hip, Eric Bledsoe style. If That's you're talking, what Vanderpool wants. 16-footers. Yes. That, that, those are the mid-range shots they want to give up. They don't, don't just want to say, come yeah, on in yeah, and, yeah, and here right, right. and take that, because those guys, particularly if you're going to give them – 15, 18 of those a game, and it's the best guys in the league at doing them, they are going to make more than half of them on a game when they're hot like that, and that's going to kill you. See, I'm, and again, I am not sure even then if somebody is getting 56% from 16 feet. But but there's a whole there's a whole chain reaction to all that. They're know, not shooting know, every single one of right. them. I know. It it has a whole— But there's also a whole chain reaction on the chaser, the backyard— back, yeah. What if the as the guy if the point guard goes to 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 back block the the shot, mm-hmm. his man cuts to the rim. The well, the he's, point guard. Well, he's on the point guard. That's what I mean. But not if he's chasing Kawhi all of a sudden, closing out up from behind, right? Well, yeah. So you're talking about the roll man, because it's a pick and roll play. It's a pick and roll play that I I'm see. talking all right, about. All right. So you're talking about the guy who is guarding. The screener mm-hmm. going off the screener to try to block from behind, 
and then the screener rolls, and theoretically, that the guy gets picked up in the paint. Yes, that would be by the third right, right. tagging yep, defender. Yep, is, yep, is, yep. That's how they would like that to be. I agree executed. with that. Yes. And what does Ryan say? All those he says short, short view stunts, and his all right, his terminology right, for right. stunts. It's a it's a process that you would like to handle with two guys, where you would like to have cat drop back, welcome them into the mid range, and have your point guard Jeff Teague in this case have a rear view contest on the shot. So it's not right. a clean right. pull up shot. But what ends up happening is oftentimes, even if it's Eric Bledsoe, they're wide open. They're, they're wide open. The screener clips Jeff Teague well or Eric Bledsoe well, and now they're working with an advantage. And so they have the pocket pass off to the guy rolling to the rim, which then causes a chain reaction of someone has to stunt in. And then once you have to stunt in to take away the roll corner man, three. then you have the corner three. It's, it, that, that's, it's a, I mean, it's why, the, that's why everyone runs pick and roll right. In, right. In, in the league right now. It's, right. It's, a, it's, a easy, it's the easiest way to get an advantage. It's the easiest action to consistently – get an advantage because you get slowed down by the pick. So. Well, I, I, I'm not going to say anything more about it yes. now, but I do think there is. Well, I'm excited to read it. I mean, okay. I'm excited to. Well, and, and we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Right. Well, and again, it's, it's, it's interesting for schematic reasons. It's also interesting because David Vantapool was interviewed to be the head coach for this team, and it is just a, a critical character right. in the story of now. And going forward, I think that's that's an hour. Is you got it? anything All else? Right. Nope. I'm Is that fine. an hour, Justin? Yep. Um, that piece will be up at the Athletic on Friday. I maybe. think on Friday. Yep. That's what I hope. A lot of transcribing. <laughs> we still have uh, two more days till Wednesday when the Wolves play the Pelicans, who are wow bad. Uh, if the Pelicans lose on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. I believe it'll be a combined 19 straight losses. It might be a combined 20 straight losses. Meaning that the Pelicans are on a 11 or 12 game. game. I don't remember which it is. NBA.com will have standings in the last, you know, I got it up right L8 here. or L11 or They L- lost 12 in a row. All right. So, so it could be thir- could be a 20 game losing streak combined. A battle of That'll futility. That'll target center. <laughs> but isn't that so funny how different that that would be than if y- or Zion was there? Actually, I mean, you know what's going to happen is a lot of people bought Zion tickets. Yeah. And so um, there'll be some people showing up and maybe not in a great mood. It's a it's a back-to-back for the Pelicans. That would be a really bad loss for the Wolves. It's a, it's a chance to— It would be a very bad loss. Um, like you were saying before, there's going to be the ups and the downs. Right. They have—if uh, this is going to be an upswing for the rest of December, it kind of it starts with a win against the— Their very, schedule ahead is still not great. It's not great. It's better than it has been, though. Yes, yeah. You know, they have gone, uh, occasionally I look to uh, basketball reference, they have SOS, strength of schedule. Yeah. And they were 26th when I wrote about them two weeks ago, sure. and they're 12th now. It's, That's uh, what happens when you play the Lakers and the Clippers and the Jazz. <laughs> Boost the back up. Yeah. Um, yeah, They well, then they have the road trip. So they home against the Pelicans. That's right, the four-game road trip, yeah. Yeah, road nuggets, then a back-to-back that sends them to Portland the next night. But yeah. Portland's also on a back-to-back in that game. Right. And then they go to Golden State, which should be a win. They go to Sacramento, so that's the end of the four-game road trip, and then come home for two more against the Cavs and the Nets to close out the month. So, And um, those are after Christmas, right? After Christmas. The, the Cavs are on the 28th, and the Nets are on the 30th. So the Cavs and the Warriors is a nice break. Mm-hmm. They should win at least one of those. Well, for sure. They should win both of those. Those teams suck. 
Well, you know, this team has lost seven in a row. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. I and I I remain decimal points more optimistic about and, the 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 win total wise. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think that they'll be twenty and thirty. I think they'll be better than that. Do you? Yeah, I don't think they'll okay, go. Okay, that's interesting. I, I think twenty and thirty is not unhopeful. I I I, I think I'm not saying I'm going crazy. I'm not I don't think right. they'll be twenty five and twenty five, but I think there is maybe always maybe a possibility. Maybe 23 and 27. This, is, this is one of the things that's in the columnists out today is the flip side of kumbaya is, oh, my God. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> like uh, the guys yep. going, oh, you know, we all get along and everything. And then the next thing you know, you've said all the stuff about how happy every. It's kind of like this perfect family and all of a sudden there's, you know, spousal abuse. <laughs> You know, and all of a sudden, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with that in the perfect family? You know, everybody still that's wants what to keep that. That's what a seven-game losses or seven-game losing streak is. Yeah. Yeah, Spousal right. abuse. All right, that's Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore. On that uh, happy note, <laughs> uh, I'll be back on Thursday with Charlie, uh, updating what we would like to think will be a, a win against the Pelicans at home. Um, until then, you can well, you can read. Britt has a piece on the point guard position, and then he'll have the Vanderpool piece later in the week. Um, I published something today, which is essentially just the written version of what I talked about on last week's podcast, you know, detailing what that D'Angelo Russell piece or what that D'Angelo Russell trade would look look like, you know, just kind of breaking down what more of those. And nobody else had that, did they? Had what? what the trade exception like? stuff. Had anybody else really broken that down? I don't think so, no. See? There you go. Yeah, so you better so they nice better job. read it. Nice job. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think I think it's good. I think if you everyone's into a D'Angelo Russell trade, and I wrote it because if you want to have a real conversation about it, it's more it's, it's far more complicated. It's it, you explained it, it to me over dinner the other night, and uh, I'm glad I heard it. There you go. Um, all right. Well, we'll be back. We'll be back later this week. That's Britt. I'm Dane. Till next time. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah, green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down. Yeah, hope you're dancing like nobody else around. Yeah. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to eighty-nine percent off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.